I'd like to read to you from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in the 25th verse. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. Neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. When I was 14 years old, I entered the workforce for the first time, and I had the greatest job. I worked at a grand resort, four-star resort, in the dining room, where we served 500 people, and they would serve this incredible buffet, a feast, every day, three times a day, Uh, sometimes table service, sometimes buffet, but this buffet stretched across the entire length of this dining room, I don't know, 60 feet long. It was It was incredible, and it was filled with all different kinds of food, all the greatest meats and cheeses and soups and salads and desserts that you could imagine. And my job was to go into the kitchen when food was getting low, and I would get the new pans of food and bring them out and replace them. I'd take the dirty dishes back to the kitchen, wash them. I was a buffet attendant, busboy, did a little bit of everything. It was a great job, but that wasn't the best thing. The best thing about this job was that the boss favored me. The boss always treated me really well. Uh, Everyone there knew that the boss favored me, so they would treat me well too. (laughs) Nobody picked on me too much. This was a good position to be. In fact, the boss not only liked me as an employee, but he would drive me to work every day, and then at the end of the day, he would drive me back home. The boss favored me because the boss was my dad. <laughs> that was a great place to be. And if you, if you think about what Jesus is saying here as he 
is exhorting you, encouraging you not to worry about the cares of this world. He's exhorting you that on the basis that you are here working for, living for the one who's the owner, the king of all things, the creator and owner of everything is your heavenly father. And he favors his people. He favors you. He cares about your concerns. He knows about your concerns. And so Jesus exhorts his disciples. He exhorts you. He says to not worry about your life. Not worry about what you should eat, what you should drink, or what you should wear. To not worry about those basic necessities of this world, which we can get so caught up in worrying about. The phrase here is, take no thought for your life. And the word here that's translated, take no thought, is also sometimes translated, taking care or being careful for. As in the passage that I read earlier from Philippians where Paul exhorts the congregation, be careful for nothing. To say be careful in that context, that translation is of a word that conveys the idea of worry, anxiety, concern. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sound like the mindset and the condition of heart that you would like to go through life with? Peace. Trust in God that he has your life. And all the circumstances surrounding it in your hands. What a privilege it is as we come together. And we have many concerns in our lives. We have many for ourselves, for people we love and care about, going through sickness or affliction or addictions, struggles. Isn't it good that we can lift up those requests to God And trust that he has our lives in his hands. That our father is the one that we are called to serve and to work for. Our dad is the boss of this world. And he favors his people. That idea is encompassed in the concept of grace. When we talk about grace, we're talking about God setting his favor upon you. Not because you deserve it, because you're his children. Now, I like to think I was a pretty good employee. I worked hard. I did my job. But none of that was why my dad favored me. He favored me because I was his son. That didn't mean he didn't treat the other employees fairly or give me you know, preferential treatment, um, except... 
I guess, driving me to work, picking me up, all those things. He did because I was his son. It was because of the relationship that I had to him, not because I deserved it or because I earned that, but because he loved me and I was his child. And that's, if you consider what Jesus is teaching in this Sermon on the Mount about our relationship to God, everywhere he is emphasizing that it is one of a family relationship where God loves and favors his people. When he teaches us how to pray, he says, when you pray, say, Our Father, which are in heaven. Not looking at God as some distant, merely transcendental, all-powerful being of which we can have no relationship with, but a loving Father who knows your concerns and cares about your concerns. If that can sink into your heart, you will have peace. Not you will never have any trouble, not you will never have any difficulty, but you will have peace because you know that your life is in God's hands. So he says, take no thought. Don't worry. Don't. Uh, another way that we might translate that is anxiety. Don't have any anxiety, anxiousness about those things. He says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat in the body than raiment. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So Jesus, he points to the observations of nature. How God attends to the needs of his creation all around us. The fowls of the air, he uses as an example. The lilies of the field, God clothes them. God feeds them. God causes uh, them to have life and he sustains their lives and he provides for them. And yet he says, your heavenly father feeds them. Your heavenly father. And if he feeds the lilies of the, if he clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the fowls of the air, how much more will he provide for you? And for what you need. In fact, he says, you are so much better than they. That's cluing us into God's perspective here. This isn't talking about morally better. Because we know we're sinners and we're fallen. It's not talking that we're morally better than the fowls of the air. We can't really make a comparison there. We're more valuable to God than those things. You are more valuable to God than the beautiful lilies of the field or the fowls of the air. You are of value to God. Enough value that he would send his son to die for your sake. And if he sent his son, shall he not with him also freely give you all things? If he would not give the most valuable thing, the most expensive price, if he would pay the most expensive price, what is there left that God will not do for you when you need it? But we still worry. We still worry sometimes. 
We get fretful. And it happens when we, we don't think that we have control over what's going around us. We can't guarantee it. And we begin to worry. I think about the Israelites in the wilderness. Because they often murmured against God. And this was a great sin on their part to murmur against God. They lost faith and they did not trust in God. And yet he was feeding them miraculously day after day after day after day. He caused bread to come down from heaven to feed them. And you know, if God needs to do that to meet your needs, he will do it. He fed Elijah by having the ravens bring him food. God will provide for your needs. It doesn't mean you'll never be hungry or struggle or go through difficult times. But if you do, if you do, remember that you are in God's hands. And remember that he has power over those circumstances. And if if you must needs go through them, it's for a reason. The Israelites, they had to hunger in the wilderness. God said he made them to hunger. He made them to hunger. They had to wake up each day and trust that God would send that manna to come down and be out there so they could gather it up. And it says he made them to hunger so that they would see that man does not live by bread alone but by every word of God. God did it for a reason. They had to struggle for a reason. It wasn't because God had forsaken them or God's love was not with them. In fact, it was because of that, that God chastened them to teach them, to draw them to himself, to depend upon him and his word and his truth and not in the things of this world. Your heavenly father knows that you have need of those things. And so we will struggle and we will have evil. It says sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. This is not a trite platitude of don't worry about anything. Everything's going to be fine. It's not always going to be fine. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be so difficult and painful. But you don't need to worry about tomorrow and the next day and a month from now. What's going to happen? Is this all going to work out? You can trust in God. He has it in his hands. You have enough difficulty and challenge today. So it's not a matter of not going through suffering or going through suffering. It's what is going on in your heart as you go through those things. Are you trying to cling so tightly to the control that you have over your life to make sure it goes the way you want it to go? That you're constantly living in a state of fear that something will prevent your plan from unfolding. That's kind of the essence of what anxiety, worry is. You're kicking against and, 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 and fighting against life unfolding the way that it will unfold. Because you know, these people that Jesus is speaking to, and us by extension, whether they worried or not, their day was basically going to unfold the way it was going to unfold anyway. 
The only difference would be whether they spent their thoughts and and the intents of their heart in a state of worry or in a state of trust for God. He says, are ye not much better than they? That doesn't always sink in in our hearts, does it? We don't always think of ourselves that way. We know we're sinners. We're unworthy of God's love. But God loves his people. He values them. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? It says that the Lord, if the Lord is on our side, we shall not fear what man can do unto us. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Trust in your heavenly father. He has your life in his hands. He says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his statue? Here's another thing about worry. In fact, there's a modern poet who said it this way. Worry is wasteful. And useless. It really is. Jesus, Jesus is very reasonable here. Jesus isn't telling us, you know, sometimes we read this and we think this is impractical. We can't live our lives this way. I can't go through life not concerned about all the cares of this life. That won't work. I need to deal with these things. Jesus is actually very reasonable. He says that your worry is useless. It accomplishes nothing. Say, you could worry all you want. It's not going to make you taller. It's not going to fix anything. It's not going to change anything. Uh, You know, he's not saying be lazy. He's not saying don't work. In toil is part of the nature of this world since the curse uh, upon the ground that we we often toil for our, our work. He's not saying don't work. Um, don't do the things you need to do. Saying, don't be concerned about those things. Don't worry about those things because God will provide for you. And in fact, your work, your work is not for those things. We, we sometimes think it is. We think about it that way. I have to go to work to earn money, to buy food. But we are exhorted to a higher calling. Life is more than about that. You are called to work as unto the Lord. You're, you're working for a different kingdom. You know, it's, it, we're in this world and Jesus has determined and purpose that we would remain in this world. But don't forget that there is so much more that you are called to as a child of God. You are called to a greater calling and purpose in this life. So don't the, the, the world surrounding you is caught up with the concerns of this life and it's easy for us to absorb the mentality of the world in which we're in and forget that you are called to a so much higher calling. You are called to work for the king, to do your work as unto him, whether it's at your job or with your families. You are to labor as unto the Lord, because it's of the Lord that you will receive the reward. And when you're working for the Lord, when you're pursuing his kingdom and serving his kingdom, 
He will make sure that your needs are, are, are met. He will make sure that you have what you need. Uh, here is another example from my own life. There was a point many years back now where in the course of my job working for the government, the U.S. government, we say working for Uncle Sam sometimes. Um, I was working for Uncle Sam and Uncle Sam sent me overseas for six months to work in a dry, dusty, hot desert. And you know, I was away from my wife, from friends, family, and I was over there for six months working. And I was working like 12 hours a day, um, every day. And um, when I was over there, I was focused on the work that I was doing. And Uncle Sam, he was employing me. He sent me over there to work. You know what also? He also made sure that I had something to eat every day. There was a dining facility I'd go to. I could go three times a day. I had a little card. I'd swipe my card, and I'd go in, and I'd have all the food I needed to eat. So he provided for my food. Uh, He also gave me a place to live. You know, it happened to be a converted shipping container with plywood walls. But it had a mattress and some blankets. And so I had a place. I had shelter. In fact, they even gave me clothes to wear over there. I didn't you know, necessarily have the boots and the pants and the jackets and the dust masks and everything that were necessary for a desert. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so they, even gave, they gave me two pairs of boots. They gave me a bunch of T-shirts, clothes a mask to wrap around my face, goggles when there was dust storms. They even clothed me. Why? Why did they do these things? They probably spent thousands and thousands of dollars to feed me, to clothe me, to transport me around because I was working for them. And they did, Uncle Sam didn't want me worrying about all of those things. If I was, I wouldn't be able to focus on my job, on what I was called to do. How much more so in God's kingdom? If God has called you into his kingdom, he's called you to something greater than the concerns of this life. So don't you think he's going to make sure that those things are provided for? So why would you worry about those things? Why would you spend your thoughts and your anxiety and your concern upon those things? God will provide for them. He has called you to something greater. This is Jesus's words here strike me in a very powerful way. He says this. He says, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today Is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows that you have need of them and he is able to provide them and he cares for you so you don't have to. 
care about those things. You don't have to worry about those things. He says, after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That word Gentiles, when you see that in the New Testament, Old Testament, it speaks about the nations of the world. It's, it's, it's a neutral term. It's talking about the nations outside of Israel. At this time, Israel was the chosen people of God. And God had set his special affection and love upon that nation and called them to be different from all the other nations of the world. They were to have the worship of the true God and the ordinances of his service. And they were to be a kingdom of priests to serve the living God. He's saying, so why are you worrying about the things that all the other nations of the world occupy their time worried about? He says, your your heavenly father knows that you have need of them. He also says that your life is more than these things. Your life is more than these things. He says, um, verse 25, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? You're called to something greater than the concerns of this life. And you can extend this out. Hopefully you are in your mind. You know, he's talking about food, clothing, the basic necessities of life, what we eat and drink. But you, know, you can worry about so many things. If you run out of uh, one thing to worry about, you can find something else. And there are so many things in our lives to concern us that could fall into this category. Is not your life more? You think God put you here on this earth so you could just spend your time worrying about what to eat and drink and what to wear? He has more for you. He has called you to something greater. And that something greater is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what you are called to. The kingdom of God. You are called to serve and to work for the king. This not worrying about things, I hope we see. It's not about laziness. It's not about not working. I think about Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10 through 12. It says this, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. It's useless. It's true. This is true. You can see this demonstrated in a thousand ways in this world if you want to. If what you love is silver. If what you love is money, if what you love, you will never be satisfied with that. You will never have enough if that's the thing you love. There's no, there's no mark you can reach where you will say, my love of money has been satisfied. If that's what you love, if it's the abundance, if it's the increase, if it's having more, you will never be satisfied with what you have. If you have those things, if God blesses you with those things, they can be a blessing. They can be good things. But if you set your love and your affection upon that, you will never be satisfied. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? Stark picture. You know, you could have a, uh, a vault full 
of bars of gold. And it would be worth millions, billions of dollars. And if that's what you love, and if that's what you set your affection on, you could go down there, open up your vault, look in there, and just be in awe at the sparkling amount of gold you have. What good is that to you? This is what... What good is there to the owner, uh, owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. The sleep of a laboring man. When you labor for the kingdom of God in the service of the Lord, there's a peace that comes with that. There's a peace of soul and heart knowing that God has your life in his hands. And so set your affections and your desires upon something more than the cares of this world and trust that God cares for you. He cares for you. It says, uh, Peter writes, he says, casting all your cares, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You can lay your care, you can cast your cares upon your father because he cares for you. He cares for you so you don't have to concern yourself with those things. Trust. Trust in him. Another place this is used in this word, the same word, it's used when Jesus chides Martha, one of his devoted disciples. He says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. She was missing, though, something better. She was missing something better. She wanted everything to work out. She wanted everything to be attended to and taken care of. And she was missing sitting at the feet of Jesus the Son of God in her very presence and soaking in the beauty and value of His words. There's a season for all things, and there's a time to work and a time to rest. There's a time for all those things, but when we have the privilege of sitting at the feet of Jesus and being blessed by the power of His word into our lives, May we soak that in in such a way that we're not consumed with the cares of this life, that we're not careful and troubled about many things. Jesus uh, exhorts his disciples. He says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. So God knows our father knows As we sang before, here our Heavenly Father knows and He cares. And He's able to provide. But here's what we do instead. Here's what we do instead. Because we need a place to put our affection and energy and the drive of our lives. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now that in and of itself... Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness could be a whole sermon for consideration. Just that itself. 
But he says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will provide for them. Here's what you are to do. Here's what you are to concern yourself with. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Uh, to, To value the ways of God, the people of God, the service of God. To seek them, to pursue them. I think of it in the immediate context is Matthew 5 through 7 is one of the lengthiest, most comprehensive sermons that we have of Jesus's teaching. And it's all about the kingdom of God. It's what it means to live in the kingdom of God and to perceive what the kingdom of God is. It's something that is in, but not of this present world. It's a new way of living in harmony with God and with one another. And it has instructions like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We can hunger and thirst after natural food, but that's like everybody else in this world. God has called you to something more, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you will be filled. He will give you each day your daily bread. Pray for it. Trust him to answer that prayer. But hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. It's in these words that he tells you that if you come to bring your gift to the altar and you remember that, that your, your brother has ought against you for a fault that you have done, go and reconcile first. It's in these same words that he teaches us to love our enemies, to pray for them who persecute us and despitefully use us. It's in these same words that he calls us to not just be a hearer of God's word, but to do the things which he says. It's in these words that he teaches us to, as we serve God, whether it's giving our alms or our prayers, uh, he teaches us to do those unto God and not to receive the praise of man. It's in these things that he exhorts us to purity of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And he exhorts us to not just strive to keep the letter of the law, but that our hearts, our thoughts, would be right before God. That we would not be given to lust or to wrath, but that our hearts would be pure before God. It's in these things that we see the righteousness of God and the nature of the kingdom of God. It says in another place that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is a thing of of beauty and it's here. And we have the ability and privilege to participate in it now, to be part of it. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit which God has called us to. So your life is so much more. You are called to so much more than worry over the concerns of this life. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You will have enough to deal with today that worrying about tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day is unnecessary and destructive. Destructive to your own ability to do the work that God has called you to here and now and to rest in the peace and blessings of God.
for he provides for you. Cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. He says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that righteousness of God. That righteousness is fulfilled and embodied in our Lord Jesus Christ. For when you read that perfect, high standard of righteousness that is set before us in the Sermon on the Mount, that purity of heart and life and obedience, there's only one man who has ever perfectly fulfilled all those things. A man who loved his enemies, prayed for his enemies, even when he was being executed, crucified, says, God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he blessed those that cursed him. And he prayed for them that despitefully used him and persecuted him. That he faced, it says, every temptation such as common to man, yet was without sin. And so to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness is to look towards Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, in which that perfect righteousness finds its fulfillment. And in which is also the source of our righteousness. For even as we are called to live in accordance with obedience to God's commands that he's given us for our good and for the good of his kingdom and for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet the source, the ultimate source of our righteousness does not come from ourselves, but it comes from God. It comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ given freely as a gift to God's people. It says he took upon himself our sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and to trust in your heavenly Father, Because he cares for you and will provide for your needs.